Welcome to this edition of the Magazine Debrief. I'm joined by Gronia Hallahan. Hello, Gronia. Hello. And I said your name right? You did. Well done. Yes. And Dan Worth. Dan, I said your name right too. You did. Well done. And what we forgot last week was to give uh, a bit of a shout out because Dan does an international podcast as well. So before we get started, Dan, do you want to give us a, a 10 second preview of the international podcast? Why should we listen to it? International podcast is bringing you insights from the, across the world, basically, from uh, teachers and, and other leaders on all facets of school life that actually are very applicable to, obviously, to the international sector, but also very relevant to a lot of UK teachers and leaders, I would think so as well. So definitely worth checking out because it changes in terms of who we have pretty much every, every couple of weeks. And how can we find it? All good podcast platforms on YouTube as a video podcast as well. And there'll be articles linked, linking to those whenever they come out as well. So just keep your eyes peeled. Just search for Tez International. Okay, so we're going to review the 11th of September uh, magazine edition this week. And we have a really big cover feature from Rob Webster, Professor Rob Webster, I should say, who is probably the most knowledgeable knowledgeable person in the UK about teaching assistants, if not the world. Rob's uh, a long-standing contributor to the magazine and we had a really good chat during lockdown about how catch-up, if we call it that, or academic catch-up was going to happen and how TAs were going to be central to that. And Rob had some key areas where he thought this was a really there were traps essentially that schools could quite easily fall down. And he was really concerned about that. So we commissioned this article and said, okay, Rob, what, what are the big, what are the big dangers in the catch up push at the start of September? And the result of that is in Friday's magazine or, you know, issue of the 11th of September. So, uh, TA catch ups, Gronia as an ex teacher, you know, how much involvement did you have with your TA in the secondary setting? I also used to be a TA as well before I was a teacher. Ah, there we go. Um, and I loved being a TA, it was, it was really good. Um, but the relationship between the teacher and the TA is entirely dependent on how regularly you have that TA assigned to your class. So TAs are as useful as you make them. So you need to have a really good relationship with your TA, your TA needs to know your students. And that just isn't always possible when they're being moved around classes and you don't have that sort of regular um, conversation with them about what you're doing and what you want their input to be and i think rob pinpoints sort of six key areas where he where the, he sees some trouble emerging one is an over-reliance on tas and you know we need to catch kids up i.e they need to be in a small group with a ta he said that way of thinking is really damaging because actually tas are only useful for some very specific interventions and you know literacy and numeracy mainly and you have to follow those instructions of those interventions really carefully and he fears that in the you know the chaos of the start of the term that might not happen he also makes a really interesting point and you know, there's several other points he makes but one of the ones that really caught me was it matters what lesson you're pulled out of uh, did, did that strike you as well, Dan, that, you know, we probably don't give enough thought to, you know, he was, gave us the example, if, 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 if PE is the only lesson a kid excels in and you're pulling them out to do maths, they're not going to be that keen to do that maths. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I, I, I found it a really interesting article, actually. It makes you realise that, like so many of these things, there's, uh, you know, it's maybe sounds obvious on the surface, like you've got to do this well, but to do it well comes with a lot of things you have to think about. And those are little, little you know, decisions can make a big impact, like the one you cite there, of like, well, you know, which subjects are you pulling them out of for their TA time? And it could be quite detrimental if you, if you get the wrong one. 
Uh, and the same with the idea of like the social exclusion element It's like, well, are they missing out something that maybe they need to be in because it's where the class particularly likes that lesson and they sort of bond in that and they all get on really well with that teacher or something. And if you pull them out of that, are they missing out? And yeah, I think there was a lot of really sort of practical and sort of things to think about that. I think it, it would definitely be useful to teachers to realize that like, this is a, you know, this year, especially this time with TAs is going to be very important, but that doesn't mean it has to, it still needs to be thought about and implemented carefully. And Rob also talks, Gornia, about this intervention carousel, i.e. there will be some kids who spend their life in an intervention of some description, especially, you know, in primary school and in year seven, especially in this first term of year seven, when schools are doing their own checks on, you know, any learning gaps that exist. Is that something that's easy to see in a secondary or primary setting? I mean, is there just, especially now when with bubbles and the COVID stuff as well, I mean, how easy is it going to be see, to identify these children who are on this carousel of, of endless carousel of interventions? It's going to be made even harder because the times when teachers would actually discuss and flag up when this was happening, those times in the staff have been taken away when it be socially distancing, more teachers spending time alone in their, in their classrooms. One year when I was teaching, I had bottom set year seven and I ran the handwriting intervention and I was doing catch-up one-to-one tuition for the year seven people premium students and there's one girl that I was seeing for about um, 20 hours a fortnight I was seeing her more than I was seeing members of my family because I had so much time with this one one child and I was talking to the maths department about it like yeah I see her loads too because I see her for this this and this we're trying to work out how much free time we're giving this girl to have with her their friends socially she was pulled in for lunchtime for handwriting, for maths catch up. And one of the things that she needed to work on in her as a as a development point on that SEN plan was um social relationships and friendships. This <laughs> poor kid never saw anybody. She yeah. was spending all adults who were trying to teach her and telling her to to do and she was a lovely, lovely girl, but you know, friendships is school isn't just about learning subjects it was it was and it was really important for this child to have more than just that and we only realized that was happening because we spoke to each other but if you take those opportunities for teachers to talk to teachers away then it won't necessarily get flagged up and rob makes a really interesting point as well about uh, speech and language therapy that you know these kids in key stage one they're all behind on speech and language so let's let's put them in an intervention group and he said yeah great but all the good modeling of speech and language is back in the classroom and these kids are in in the corridor sometimes you know not having that modeling of good speech and language and i think and and on a social point rob did a study a few years ago where he sort of mapped the interactions children in terminal intervention had and you just saw this orbiting of the school community around these kids and the interactions were very small and i think we can all remember kids who had that sort of experience at school and i think you know, looking back, I feel slightly guilty myself that, you know, there were some, some kids you, you sort of never got the opportunity to make a relationship with. I don't know if you two had the same, Dan, perhaps. Um. Well, I can't think of a specific example, but I, I sort of I know what you're getting at. And I think, yeah, you're right that for those children that are constantly being pulled out of lessons, out of class, not spending time with their peers, which, I, which as, as you said there, I think, you know, that is a fundamental part of school. And, and actually, you know, talking about international and the next issue of the international magazine has a big feature on friendships and how hard they are for the transient children in international schools well it must be the same thing for these children constantly in interventions how do you build a relationship with a good friend maybe that one good friend who'll be really important to you and help you get through school as much as a good teacher or having a passion for a certain subject if if you never get time 
Um, and I think, yeah, the article by Rob is a really good example, uh, sort of explanation of, of these traps that you can fall into and how they can actually have a big impact when it seems like, oh yeah, we'll just do that. It's like, well, is that in the child's best interest? And the other good point he makes about like, oh, if you just shift around their time, it's like, oh, we'll just do it on this day instead, or we'll change it, or we'll drop it for this week. And it's like, that doesn't give a good message to the child about how important you're taking it. So I think all the best intentions will be there, but it's definitely some really good points raised about the way these things can impact in a negative that you might not think about at first. It's a good point to bring up the international magazine actually, because we have a, a magazine for our international schools and the cover feature, as you say, is one about um, friendships. And I think the, it leads off, doesn't it? That one international school, I think only eight children who entered the school finished, finished it. So only eight children had done three. The the three, three children yeah three, been yeah. There from start to finish which is remarkable and so it's, it's it is on their minds quite a lot more isn't it in international schools that you know these social interactions these friendships are are crucial to to learning it's not a separate thing as such no absolutely if you're happy at school and you've got friends and particularly the positive friendships you know that, that that inspire you or challenge you or you know you're happy to work together on a project whatever it might be that's great and if you don't have that then school must be uh, both a lonely place and a place it's harder to sort of feel part of the community. Mm, no, exactly. Well, um, Rob's feature this week is is a really good read. It's a central read actually for all schools because mm. we all want kids to catch up um, anything they've lost and but how we do that really does matter. And Rob's gives you an amazing blueprint to to put into action in a really practical way. Um, we're finishing our chat about Rob's feature because we wanted to leave some a little bit of time at the end of this debrief to talk about the second feature in the magazine, which is by um, Carly Page, which is about bullshit. So if you are of a sensitive nature and you and you you don't like uh, some light swearing, I guess it, it, you know, or some some slightly uh, non acceptable language, I would, I would uh, mute now perhaps or, or selectively mute us. But we are going to talk about bullshit and Carly's feature looks at some work by a, an academic at a, a business school the Cass Business School which looks at how destructive bullshit can be in an organization he defines that as um, sort of speech that doesn't bear any semblance to the truth essentially so it's, it's just empty empty words that have no real meaning and um, you know it exists in every every organization but i guess gronia you know are schools pretty bad places for bullshit i don't know i used to work for a phone company selling mobile phones there's quite a lot of bullshit went on then as well <laughs> but, uh, any corporation. but i think there's a, there's a love for a catchphrase in mm. teaching we love it we love a gimmicky kind of this is the new thing so there's um there's always new new bullshit words that pop up each year i think i mean are, are either of you going to admit to being a user of bullshit? I mean, absolutely yeah. not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think as journalists, our job is to is to cut through all that and not do that and give it give the clarity you need. But but I've seen it in evidence. I've 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 worked somewhere previously, which where I would you know I subsequently came to realise that the bullshit was everywhere and everyone bought into it and gave it sort of deference when I was there thinking. This, this isn't saying notable it's just this is yeah meaningless you know it was a huge five-page document saying what could be summed up in two paragraphs we all had to sort of read a bit of it as if it was gospel and um and i, I did it's a really good article i really really enjoyed it i think a lot of teachers will get a kick out of it because i think it's both amusing but actually serious and i think if we if you don't call out the bullshit and you don't sort of stop going this is saying nothing i didn't know already or this is a this it's like it's like meetings that don't need to be meetings it's the same kind of thing it's like 
this could be one line and I don't need to be told this in this sort of over the top language that is jargon corporate speak and so I think it's um yeah so something I actually think we all should try and avoid uh, because I think it makes life better when we don't have it well Andre Spice who did the research suggests that bullshit creates um it's, it's a, basically a, a time sapper so you know the more bullshit that's created the less time you have to do in schools which are the things that are important like teaching and he also says that roles emerge in schools where sort of bullshit fills a void so that if you're uncomfortable with your position or you're you're worried or you're you're a bit paranoid you, you fill a void with bullshit to make yourself look important i mean we, we don't like to think of teachers as in that way Gronia, where where they you know it's, it's a very sort of dedicated profession where you'd think every second counted, but this notion, and he's very clear that schools do suffer from this. I mean, how does that, how does that happen? And why isn't it challenged? When you were saying that, I was thinking of the, uh, the increased numbers of uh, assistant head teachers we had at one point, the, the school structure got very sort of top heavy, where there was, there was lots of assistant head teachers and then, you have this you have this money in the budget for, for a role and they've got to be in charge of something what should we give them let's give them we had like assistance the assist the assistant head in charge of teaching and learning and what does that person do but just scour scour the internet and edgy books for a new gimmick and that would be their 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 task that's their focus for this half term they're going to push 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 this idea until we all get sick of it and they drop it and then they they pick up another thing and that's really why it happens i guess because we do have quite a top heavy heavy leadership in in schools and somebody needs and we've had things disappear like we used to have um the advanced teachers remember advanced skills teachers asts yeah. and then they got rid of it and then you're you're on that pay scale you're like you need to have a reason to have that job still and have that money what should we put them in charge of <clears throat> they can in charge of student voice that's their job in charge of student voice or um do you remember assessment for learning yes yeah yeah so i mean that's not really i'm not saying that's bullshit but i do remember when i was a trainee that would be bold that would be bold to say assessment for <laughs> was, well, uh, was bullshit. but it was this really big thing for a while there's this thing that we all had to do and we all were like we had to list what assessment for learning we were doing in every single lesson and it it became more about the thing than actually what you're meant to be doing around it. Yeah. If that makes sense. It was all about making being seen that you were doing it, all the performative side rather than actually making use of it in a, in a proper way. But you don't need somebody in charge of assessment for learning in a whole school. That's, that's nonsensical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Andre Spicer does give some tips about how we reduce bullshit in schools. And he, he does pinpoint the top of the organization has to be a shit umbrella he calls them and that's essentially someone who who protects staff from these meaningless um platitudes and, and these meaningless meetings where you come out of the meeting and you go well, did they actually say anything in that meeting and, and i think they did and he says that it does come down to leadership and it does come down to them having the the self-knowledge to realize when they are talking in bullshit themselves or or when they're letting their staff be exposed to bullshit and I don't know how do you feel about that Dan you know the heads you speak to at international schools and and in the UK uh, yeah have they got the time for that is that fair is it fair to say that they are responsible and the be all and end all of bullshit in their schools uh I mean how long have you got but I think <laughs> 
it, it's absolutely his, his point is right that this this idea of a shit umbrella and that the, the leader has to protect their staff which is great but what but so the trouble is as Gronje just explained is so often it's the leadership that are the ones creating it as a sort of way to fill the void of what they do and I would suggest most teachers like in most professions the average sort of person doesn't see this for what it is and just thinks what but because they have to be deferential and follow the leader they have to sort of give it due prominence or you know like, oh yes that was a, oh, that's a good point when actually they're thinking what this is nonsense and if you can't call that out or if the leader is the one dictating it it's very hard to, to stop it you can sort of internally sort of think oh rubbish you know but it's hard to do much about it but i think a good leader and certainly a lot of the good leaders i speak to like even just talking on the phone or on, on a zoom call you can tell they're just de- they're just good people and they they don't need to sort of use jargon and, and corporate speak to make themselves sound clever because they know they're sort of confident in what they do and i think it comes down to that it's like that, a confidence and being good at your job comes through in the way that jargon and management speak and sort of woolly non saying nothing saying lots without saying anything doesn't um and so i think most i'd say actually most teachers and most leaders are probably you know very immune to bullshit and don't use it but it's when you do find that kind of person it's probably quite hard to, to get out from under it um i think that's an interesting point you make there about about confidence is that we assume that bullshit comes from a willful you know a willful place to deceive to deceive someone you know look how powerful i am but it can also come from insecurity from imposter syndrome from looking at other leaders using those words and saying well you know i better use them otherwise people aren't going to take me seriously i mean have you is that something you've experienced growing you're not saying that you would ever do that yourself but um you know can we can we give these guys a bit of a break and say actually sometimes it may be the root of the bullshit may be insecurity insecurity and trying to mask where they're not quite sure what what it is that they should be doing it's a little bit emperor's new clothes isn't it like if, mm. if somebody's talking about it and you don't want to to be the person to say i don't really get that like is it so you start using it yourself thinking you're, you're doing the right thing and it, it it's learned behavior and it's it's it will always come from the top in schools. Like it's the, the head teacher will always like set the tone for what other teachers should do. And a head teacher wouldn't tolerate it from a member of their team. And so then the other staff don't have to endure it. So it's always top down. So the shit umbrella is real is what you're saying. Oh, it's very real. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it'd be interesting for us to all pinpoint maybe our, our most hated or most loved bullshit phrase i mean i'll i'll start and give you two some time to think but i remember talking back talking to a, U, a u.s based pr and and she was she was the queen of bullshit i mean everything about her client was i didn't understand anything because it was empty and then she ended an email saying um i really value your i can't remember the phrase she used but the phrase she ended with was i'll circle back oh, and, and every part of my being just felt worse because it was such a horrible phrase and people may be listening going, why were you, why, why does it bother you so much? I don't know. I really don't know why it bothered me so much, but circle back just, just, just made me shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you two have got an example. I mean, which one of you has got one first, Dan? Well, I don't I think mean, world leading is one that I used to hear a lot, um, yes. at a certain place where I worked and it, and it always came to this context of, of sort of, we want to be world leading. We want to be the best. And it was almost like, well, of course you do. No organization sets out to be <laughs> the second best or middling or average. Everyone wants to do the best they can. So why we have to have these huge documents that effectively were just saying, we want to be good at what we do. And world leading was the one that always cropped up. And I just, but when you see it enough times, you, like, your, like your point there, it's like, yeah, it's a little thing, but ah, oh, stop saying it. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything. <laughs> How about you, Claudia? I'm thinking it's the marking 
ones that used to really wind me up. Like when you when you wrote something in a student's book and they start it was all this like dialogic marking and like when it was a conversation, how important that was. It couldn't just be that you you corrected something and they corrected it afterwards. Like like acting on feedback, that's literally all it was. But they had to make it like some silly fancy fancy and having verbal feedback stamps, all of that stuff. So you're make saying not phrases aren't just bullshit you're you're calling bullshit on on aspects of pedagogy which is a step up but aspects of ped pedagogy that you do but making that like everyone must do this every single time it doesn't matter if it's if it's relevant to what you've just marked or not you've oh, got I see, to, I see. to do it that's when that's when the bullshit becomes poisonous isn't it it's not just a stupid phrase oh you've got to now do um dialogic marking it's it's a stupid phrase and then you're made to do it every single time you mark a book. Well, I think maybe we should put this out because I, I can see your passion here, uh, Gornia, for bullshit. Well, your, your passion against it. And as an ex-teacher, I, I think we may have tapped into something. I mean, Kate Martin in the piece talks about some of her, her most hated phrases and the fact that everyone would just nod along, pretending they understood or, or bought into it. And maybe, you know, any listeners out there who want to tell us their own worst bullshit phrases in education, um, Maybe we can do a little feature on it. That'd be a fun one for you to do, Gronya. Like the I ten words. Great, yeah, yeah, great Twitter thread that that Gronya can write up. Yeah. Purple pen of progress. That was my most hated thing. <laughs> Purple pen of progress. Wow. Sounds, okay. sounds like an awful children's yeah. program. <laughs> three three sixty degree coverage, or you know, three hundred sixty degree focus. That's another thing you hear a lot. Yeah. yeah that was, that what was does that mean? When I was in the printing industry, it used to be green button technology, which meant you could hit a button and you could just leave it. And then mm -hmm. you'd have demonstrations of green button technology where it involved quite a lot of people after the pressing of the green button. Yeah. You just thought, this is bullshit. There's, there's um, another great one in, in the tech sector I was at, East American companies used to call something a soup to nuts solution, which means <laughs> the soup course is the start of the meal. And, the, and nuts is, you know, like... Traditionally, nuts is the very last part of a big meal, you know, very after dessert, you go to nuts. Yeah, we didn't know this. So they describe it as a soup to nuts solution. <laughs> well, we all need to watch out for some soup to nuts um, school interventions, maybe. <laughs> Leaping back to, circling back to Rob's feature. Very good. Um, we could beware of soup to nuts interventions uh, in, in every, it sounds euphemistic, let's move on. Um, <laughs> so the magazine's a great addition this week. It's uh, full of great stuff. There's some uh, other features in there. One's on, there's a really good piece by Mary Meredith on um, behavior systems when we get back. And there's a fascinating look at the growth of a BTEC in eSports, which uh, blew my mind slightly. Um, so please do have a read and give us some feedback. Thanks for tuning in.